For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Mike to New Haven podcast with sports personality Mike Cologne. Here's your host, Mike. This is the New York Police Department's Bomb Squad. Part human, part dog, part robot, all one team. Lethal and indiscriminate. To disarm one is to save countless lives. The Bomb Squad has given the all-clear. reason the members of the oldest and biggest bomb squad in the United States are unique. The bomb squad was able to safely remove a device. When you don't see them, the NYPD Bomb Squad is always watching for that unsuspecting threat. The NYPD Bomb Squad racing in and hauling away another suspicious packet. Packets have been properly identified. You're listening to Tales from the Boom Room. Profiles of the NYPD's arson explosion. Bomb squad. And we're certainly representing the boom room tonight before we begin, of course. Uh, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 232 of the Mike the New Haven podcast. You're getting two volumes of Tales from the Boom Room in one week. If you haven't checked out the previous episode, that was volume 32 of Tales from the Boom Room, covering the 1994 Edward Leary subway bombing. It was a fire bombing on the Ford train in Lower Manhattan. And joining me to dissect that is a man, or a couple guys, I should say, that my next guest, who I'll introduce in a moment, knows quite well. The first guy, of course, Billy Ryan, retired detective out of the Arson Explosion Squad and the co-creator and co-executive producer of this miniseries. And the other guy, Dan McNally. Uh, hadn't had those guys on the show in a while, but it was good to have them rejoin me for that episode. And before we begin, I'm rocking my Bomb Squad shirt tonight, if you could see it. Special thanks to my man, Kevin Barry, for getting me this shirt. I very much appreciate him sending it my way. Uh, much, uh, much obliged, Kevin. I appreciate it. So, like I said, volume 33, second edition of Tales from the Boom Room this week with my next guest, who for 22 years, excuse me, had a career in the NYPD that revolved around chasing madmen of different kinds. First, robbers and drug dealers as a street cop, both on patrol and later on the anti-crime unit, and later mad bombers and stone-cold terrorists as a member of the NYPD bomb squad, of which he arrived to in the spring of 2000, as we'll discuss tonight. And after retiring in 2005, he would not stay quiet. He stayed as an instructor, after all, with all that knowledge kicking around in your head in the bomb squad. you got to share it with other people. And he did that as an instructor with both FEMA and the Department of Homeland Security before retiring a couple of years ago in 2020. And that for this volume 33 of Tales from the Boom Room, a man I've been trying to get for a while. And finally, he's here tonight, retired NYPD bomb squad sergeant, Tony Biondolillo. Tony, welcome. How are you? How are you? I'm doing well. It's good to have you. It's been a long time coming, like I said. So finally tonight you're here. And the question that I always begin with before I get to anything involving your career, where'd you grow up? 
I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, in uh, Coney Island, the Coney Island area, Gravesend area of Brooklyn. And did you have any family on the job? Was your dad on the job? No, no one. I was the first one, and then I was followed by my one of my cousins and then my son. Hmm. What made you want to come on the job? Uh, I was in the military, and, uh, you know, I, I was, it was either go to jail or go to the service. So I went, <laughs> I went to the service, and they said, listen, you're qualified to be a military policeman. So I did it, and uh, I enjoyed it. And I actually ended up a military police investigator for uh, about three years. And then uh, when my time was done, uh, I got out and uh, waited for the PD to call. And in between that, I ended up working with the United Nations Security Service for about three years until I went to the police department. And that would certainly play well later on, of course, with your arrival to the bomb squad. And given how much the UN and the bomb squad coordinate on security Absolutely. matters. They knew everything. It was a plus. Uh, the, the, real quick, because he was, I, I don't know if he was there at the same time. PD called him in 1980 and he went to the PD. But Don Sadawi was working UN security too at one point. You crossed paths with him there? Yes, Don, me and Don Sadawi. I remember the day Don Sadawi uh, actually left the UN. I was working uh, uh, a Sunday, 4 to 12. They had just bombed the Turkish mission. And who showed up? Don Sadawi was. Don was one of the. He was on the other side of the fence now, but yeah. We worked together at the United Nations, and then uh, uh, he actually called me in 1986 to come down to Manhattan. I went down to Manhattan. He wanted me to interview for the bomb squad back then, and obviously, yeah, my career was going in a different direction at the time. And uh, you know, I was in going into the Organized Crime Control Bureau, and I, you know, I passed on it. You were happy where you were, as we'll yeah. discuss tonight. Uh, this is Tales from the Boom Room, Volume 33, which is retired NYPD Bomb Squad Sergeant Tony Bianalillo. Shout out to our friends tuning in tonight. In the live chat, Jay Driscoll, he's always here, of course, and I appreciate that. Steven Zaslavsky, an assistant commissioner with the New Haven Fire Department here in my neck of the woods. Joe Maliga, tuning in from Rochester, New York. Alicia B., another person who's always here. And a retired NYPD uh, street crime Lieutenant Pete Pranzo, as well as an author. And look who's here. Paulie Paracone's tuning in via hey. as well. <laughs> <laughs> He's the best. Paul, he was the best. Good man, Paul, of course. And oh, he was here absolutely. for the last edition of Tales from the Boom Room. And uh, he was featured in recently. In the police department. Oh, yeah. And a great career, of course. Emergency service. And then he went absolutely. over to Truck 11 in 2002. People are saying, and I'm hearing this a little, and it doesn't bother me as much. Your sound's a little staticky. You're coming in clear, but it's like a little static. Could be me. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, it could be my voice. I'm a little hoarse. I actually yeah. am recovering from surgery, so... Mm -hmm. I'm still a little hoarse from the anesthesia and stuff, so I don't know I don't if that's it. And don't worry about it. We'll work around it. It's fine. So, you know, before I get to the patrol years, you know, as Don covered in his book, Rendered Safe, it's interesting because I've never been inside the building, uh, at least to my recollection. I don't know if I've been inside the building. No, I don't. I think I don't think I have. But um, it's a city within a city. You know, there's a lot besides that building that everybody sees when they're walking around in Midtown Manhattan and, and trying to police that, for lack of a better word, is daunting, to say the least. But I imagine given once you learned that and felt comfortable in that assignment, the NYPD had to be a breeze by comparison. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. You know, I, listen, in my time and Paulie's time, uh, cops, we could be cops. You know, uh, and if you work in Manhattan, you can work anywhere. I mean, I worked, I worked all over the city. But when I got to Manhattan, it was, you know, a whole different adventure. No, for sure. 
you know, well, last note on your UN years, the problem is, and you saw this come to roost with the 1997 UN letter bombs incident, mm -hmm. the problems of other parts of the world are brought there because there's so many nations involved in the UN. And you have to be on high alert, screening the mail, for example, being alert of any kind of threats against certain heads of state that might be coming in to visit. Al-Hayat, who was a target of that letter bomb campaign in 1997, has their offices there. You never know what might be or who might be targeting them. So just tell me, without giving anything that's classified away, about the intelligence briefings, if there were any that would go on during that time, and the rapports that you guys would build with these visitors were people who frequented the UN every day. Well, when I was at the UN, they, they received a few uh, letter bombs. Are you talking about as far as me being uh, with the NYPD or as a UN security? UN in this case. Say again? U UN in this case. Well, in the UN, obviously, we were briefed. We... we the UN security forces were made up of officers from all over the world, different levels of experience, mostly police officers and uh, uh, military personnel. Uh, we were briefed quite well by the NYPD. We had a great relationship with them. Even though it's sovereign ground, it's international territory, they would never stop, or we would never stop the NYPD you know, from responding. They were, we always had a great working relationship with them, especially when it came to intelligence. They had more intelligence than we would get. Hmm. Of course. So I guess going to the other side of the fence now, you're coming into the NYPD during a time in which, as I covered before, anybody that's coming on during the 70s and during the 80s, really into the early 90s, is coming on during the war zone years. There's so much going on, and it's a dangerous job for all three police departments. Transit cops were getting killed in the line of duty, if not seriously injured, as were housing cops, as were city cops. You start out with the city. Where was your initial NSU? Uh, my NSU ended up uh, in the 120 precinct in Staten Island. Okay. That's where I did my NSU. And then I was uh, from there, I ended up going to, uh, <laughs> believe it or not, the Staten Island Task Force. There was about 10 people in it at that time. It was very small. And then from there, I did a plain clothes detail with the auto loss in the unit. Did that for about a year and a half. And then I entered the uh, narcotics division with an uh, organized crime control bureau. And uh, I was a narcotics investigator. Hmm. Now, focusing on just the patrol years for a moment, there's a lot of great collars a patrolman can make. And I remember, I think it was Joe Patowski that said this in a great article I found on the Bomb Squad from 1994 in The Atlantic, where he said, and this was right, it was either him or Richie Hackford, the most dangerous job in the police department is the job of the patrolman because Without he doesn't know or she doesn't know what they're walking into. And I think Without either the Patowski or Hackford line was you could you could be talking about last night's ball game with your partner. And when you turn the corner, you're stumbling into a robbery in progress. You just never know. So tell me about some of the more notable encounters that you had on patrol, both good and maybe intense uh, that, you know, further drove that point home for you. Uh, well, when you're on patrol, especially in the early years when we were on patrol, you encountered everything, every kind of danger uh, you could think of. You know, 10-10, man with a gun, constantly. Uh, you know, it just, it, it didn't stop. It was very, very busy. Like, uh, as Paul could tell you, if you worked in that area of the 7-5 or in certain what we used to call A-houses, it was busy. You know, it's hard to say what was... Uh, uh, <laughs> had higher, you got so used to uh, responding to dangerous calls. You know, one thing about being in the NYPD, cops can change, especially on patrol. You got to be able to change gears. You know, you could go from uh, a robbery in progress, uh, 
to an aided case where someone, a baby is, is choking, you know, it, it's really hard to say. But if you're looking for like highlights of, of arrest, uh, I've made arrests, I've involved arrests with John Gotti. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, we involved arrests with him. He wasn't the John Gotti that you're thinking that or that on top of the scales. He was just a, a drunk that ended up rear-ending an off-duty police officer from New Jersey and uh, getting into a fist fight with him. And basically, unfortunately for John Gotti, the uh, off-duty police officer was about 6'6 and about 300 pounds. So we didn't really have to do much except put him in handcuffs and bring him in. There you go. And that was Gotti before, of course, the Castellano hit outside Sparks in 85. Right. Uh, yeah. That's uh, right. Before he killed, the, no, that was after he killed a uh, a guy in Staten Island and uh, named McBratney, I believe. Yeah, they hauled him out of a bar pretending right. to be policemen and shot him, him in the back of the head. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Scotty Wagner, my friend in the chat, of course, retired hostage negotiation detective originally with the New York City Housing Police. Speaking of, good to see you, Scotty. And thank you for complimenting my casual look. Like I said at the top, of course, thanks to Kevin Barry for this shirt. Love the Bomb Squad shirt. Barry Goldbomb, as he was also known as. <laughs> and, uh, an interesting nickname for Kevin, but an appropriate one uh, at that. You know, I always ask this to guys that, you know, are starting out on patrol. And the question is the same when I'm interviewing cops and interviewing firemen. You always have somebody that's teaching you. You always have somebody that really hone, helps you hone your craft by passing off their skill set to you, either directly by what they say to you or indirectly by what they do. Who would you credit for most teaching you how to be a good street cop? A uh, couple of people. <laughs> One was a, a guy I worked with named Harry Donnelly from the Ninth Precinct. Harry was a very low-key guy, high-arrest guy. He just was a, a true professional. I mean, his style was great. I mean, he was just, just he was phenomenal. And uh, I tried to take a little Harry, and then uh, there was the late, uh, uh, I'm at a loss for his name. I'll tell you in a second. My uh, problem, I lost his name. Uh, there was a great lieutenant out in Staten Island. That was uh, a boss's boss. I mean, he loved the cops. He he could calm a situation down. Uh, I mean, he was amazing. He, he just had a gift. And, you know, not every cop has that gift. Sometimes you can hone it and get it a little, little better. But some people just... Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Can do it. And I, I think I wasn't, I wasn't never, I was never really that smart, but I was good with people. I was real good with people. And I, I could read people well. And I could, I could sort of finesse them a little bit. And that's what I learned from a lot of these guys, you know. 
Uh, the best thing about being a cop is you, you don't have you don't have to be a, a rocket scientist. You have to have common sense. You have to sort of be able to, to try to read people and then approach it that way. Sergeant Tony Biondilillo is our guest tonight for volume 33 of Tales from the Boom Room. Profiles the NYPD's arson explosion and bomb squad. Now, getting into the auto larceny years, you know, I've covered this before. I don't think, and it's bears covering again, of course, I don't think people realize just how lucrative, you know, the auto theft ring anywhere you yeah. go is. People think of drugs, and yeah, that's pretty lucrative for those that deal in them at the high level and the low level. But cars, you know, the same, same way you can always have drugs around to a degree. Cars are always going to be around for a certain degree. And it's not just, but here's what, in my opinion, makes them more lucrative. It's not just the sale. It's the multifaceted sales that you can make on the black market. You can steal a car and sell it. You can also strip it down to bare parts. And more, sell money parts. Parts. Exactly. more money in parts. Exactly. Heavy equipment they would steal and send overseas. Uh, exactly. I had a lot of fun in the, in the uh, auto loss unit. We were a plain clothes unit. We were the only plain clothes auto loss unit at the time authorized in the city. Mm. And uh, that was because between Brooklyn South and Staten Island, we had the highest auto theft rates in the nation. Okay, it, it was ridiculous. I mean, we had uh, individuals who we knew that were caught these. And I mean, it was just, uh, uh, we sort of had a book we could go through. We, know, we knew the styles of who was doing what kind of thefts, what kind of cars they were taking. And, and people always think it's uh, some junkie breaking into a car to steal it. Well, no, not, not always the case. A lot of times, uh, uh, one of the cases that uh, I was fortunate to make an arrest on, I won't give you the guy's name, but he was uh, worked for uh, a Bilotti, Castellano's driver. They owned a, a, a collision shop. I won't even mention the shop, but a collision shop on the North Shore of Staten Island. That should be a hint to any Staten Island. Okay? <laughs> they were actually using the police department's rotation tow program to steal other cars, with cars that they were assigned by the police department and entrusted by the police department. So uh, we were able to sort of crack that ring. And that, that was that was uh, a big thing. Car chases, everybody loves a car chase. This was uh, prior to the days of, uh, you know, the sergeants calling off the chases. We had a chase of a, a, a fella that was a known car thief in Staten Island. He had, it was notorious. Stole about 40 or 50 cars, we knew who he was. Okay, he'd leave a coil. He loved to have the cops in Staten Island chase them all over the place well we caught him one day and uh he was <laughs> long story short the chase ended up where he drove his car into through a fence and into somebody's swimming pool <laughs> okay it wasn't a good day for me and it wasn't a good day for my partner but we got him and uh, uh he did a lot of time in jail he stole a lot of cars he sold a lot of cars you know, when cops filmed in New York City, they missed the chance they should have filmed with you guys because they always think that Manhattan's the borough where everything happens. And that's true to a degree. But yeah. look, at, look, I mean, look at that, though. I mean, Staten Island, imagine a night tour of four to 12 in the auto crime division. You have a chase like that. Yeah, that's top. That's top television. Greatest show on earth, right? The one thing about Staten Island, you got to know who the bad guys were because it wasn't a big place. Right. OK, so you could know the whole island and you could know who caught these were. Who, we used to get the NGs, the known gamblers. You know, you got to know that when I was in narcotics, I worked Brooklyn South and Staten Island. I worked in a major case part of Stat, uh, uh, narcotics for Staten Island. And we knew who everybody was. I mean, it was just, uh, it, it, also, to be, to be fair, a lot of the detectives, the old-time detectives that worked in Staten Island, they were probably some of the most knowledgeable detectives in the country. 
especially when it came to organized crime, because we did have a lot of organized crime figures here. Mm. Oh, of course, yeah, that yeah. was their haven. Yeah. Mm. You know, so I have to ask, since you did work on Staten Island, did you bear the brunt of the Richmond County Sheriff's Office jokes? <laughs> no, not really. No. Uh, good, because uh, you yeah. guys were putting in work. Yeah. You guys you know, were putting I, in work. Listen, we did our, we, we, you know, it is what it is. We did our thing. Uh, uh, I, I, I laughed. I used to laugh because there was a st stigma about, oh, you worked in Staten Island for a while? Well, I made 300 arrests on Staten Island in less than seven years. So I think I did pretty good. You know? Exactly. I'd say. Yeah. You know, I think I did pretty good. You know, uh, it, it, it's not, listen, police officers uh, could be injured anywhere, anywhere in this country. You could, it could be in Staten Island. It could be in uh, uh, Westchester. It could be in Hollywood. Or it could be in, uh, uh, like I say, uh, anywhere. When the bullet hits you and you fall, you're dead no matter where you land. You can land in, uh, you know, out in a big place in Long Island, out in Tottenville, or you can uh, or Manhattan. So, you know, it, it, one thing about Staten Island, I will tell you, because I was from Brooklyn, and I didn't know anybody out here. And a lot of the cops that worked out here, they, they, all, they went to school here. So, you know, they would go and lock somebody up, and they go, oh, I can't lock that guy up. He's my cousin. <laughs> you know, so I was locking a lot of people up. I, I, you know, I had no real connection with Staten Island. But what I did notice here is it, working that the district attorney's office was very tough. And the bad guys were afraid of that. So they, they more often than not, would become very physical and uh, want to fight you. So, you know, and in those days, we were paid to win, not lose. So... That's, you know, they, it was a totally different ball game, you know. Uh, so it was, a, it, it, to be honest with you, as dangerous as it might have been back then, it was easier for us to deal with people because they sort of knew maybe I better not punch that cop, you know. Maybe I better not run away because they may catch me. And like right. we used to say, we were the biggest gang in New York, New York City. Yeah, of course. Of course, you had more resources than they ever could have dreamed of. You know, take, can't outrun a radio. Exactly. That's the point. You know, somebody made that reference and it's true. It's actually an Indianapolis cop, not on this show, but in an episode of Cops I was watching, he's like, you can outrun the patrol car. You can't outrun the Motorola. Right. You know, that's exactly it. They'll right. always find you somehow. So, uh, you know, working just one last note on auto larceny. Um, I don't, this is a two part question. I mentioned it earlier with parts and obviously the nice vehicles. You see a Bugatti, of course, you know, the bad guy looks at that and salivates. But besides the basic surface level stuff, to catch a bad guy, you know what I'm going to say. You got to think like a bad guy sometimes. Right. So take me inside the mind of a car thief. What are they thinking about? Or if you were a car thief, what would you be looking for? Well, I'll be honest with you. It, uh, you mentioned the parts being lucrative. They had shopping lists. They had orders of what cars to take where to bring them. In fact, uh, uh, they would, in those days they were looking for like, uh, uh, more of the, the sportier cars. Uh, they were going, then they were going for Camrys. Camrys were a big car at the time. A uh, Honda Accords were big, but they were also going through these high end Oldsmobiles. These, uh, 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 what are they called? This <laughs> big engines. I, I just can't think of the, the, they, they were going for all these high end cars, you know? And, a lot of times they, like I say, they were just parts. One example, we had a crew going for parts that we knew. We, we watched them weeks. We watched them weeks. And then one night we just 
They grabbed a couple of cars. They had walked into uh, the South Beach area of Staten Island, where there's a lot of high weeds near the water. Right. And the water, I mean, the weeds were very high. And what they did was they had an operation that they brought in with a van, and they brought about eight cars in, and they were chopping up these cars and taking them apart. And when we, it's funny, we had surrounded them. Uh, they didn't even know we were there. We had aviation come. And when aviation came, the, 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 the wind from the uh, uh, rotors actually opened up the weeds. And it was like they couldn't believe it, you know. But you're talking about these guys were all great at their craft, if you want to call it a craft. And they made a lot of money, a lot of money, okay? They stole cars to order or to, for parts, no, and as I've often said, ad nauseum on the show, but again, it bears repeating. It's so sad to look at these individuals because they're so talented, but they're using that talent and making all the wrong choices with it. You know, imagine if they actually applied their minds to yeah. doing this the legit way, how far they could get. A lot of them were great mechanics. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, they could, you know, they could tear apart a car in no time. They yeah. Put one back together if they had to, but they were more into tearing them apart. Right. Uh, and it's unfortunate, but you know what? You make those choices and there's either good Absolutely. or bad. There's there's consequences to them. And they understood. I will say back then. Now it's a lot different for reasons that are well documented that we don't need to get into. But back then, they at least to their credit, they knew the game. And when they were caught, it was like, hey, listen, I know what I was getting myself into. You got me. It was business. It wasn't yeah. personal. Right. It wasn't personal. And it's funny you mentioned that because one of the cases I told you about that chop shop, was an individual, I won't mention his name, but an individual who uh, I had arrested, and uh, he was a very large individual. And uh, in, in those days when you stole the GM automobile and you chopped the column, uh, at night you couldn't get the brights to go off. So mm. that's how I spotted him. All of a sudden I see a high-end Chevy uh, the, the Super Sport coming down with its brights on. I looked in the window and there he was, okay? Short chase, caught him, put his hands behind his back, not a problem. And this was a guy that I'll tell you what, uh, you weren't, if he didn't want to go easy, he, he could have hurt us. We would have had, it would have been a, a bad day. It would have been a very bad day because he was a, a very powerful man, big man, over 300 pounds. But when you say, you know, acting professional, when it went to trial in Staten Island, they had asked me what his demeanor was. I said, well, he acted very professionally. Uh, you know, so the defense attorney went crazy. He said, you're trying to infer that this is his profession? I said, no, you asked me how he was. And I'm telling you, he gave us no problem. And he was very cordial and professional in his line and as we were in our line. Yeah. You know what? And again, you can almost, I remember Mike McCory mentioning this, a great E-man out of Truck One in a documentary on ESU from the late 70s. There was a guy that, uh, you know, was holding up a brothel with a shotgun. <laughs> this was 70s New York, right? And he said, I would have had more respect for the guy if he would have just said, you know what? You got me, baby. Too bad I couldn't get away. I don't like the guys that get all scared when we come up and want to all of a sudden start being nice. No, 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 no. You know what you were doing beforehand. Why the sudden change in demeanor when you see the badge and you see us with our firepower, literally and figuratively, compared to yours? But, you know, like I said, and not giving them credit for what they're doing, but at least if you're going to go down, go down like a man. Right. And they yeah. did. Well, things. you know, different code. Uh, I'll give you an example. When uh, John Gotti was arrested 
and he was brought into the precinct, the first thing he did was spit at the uh, desk officer, who was a lieutenant. And he looked at the desk officer's name. The desk officer had an Irish last name. And then he looks at my last name because he sees I'm an, uh, my last name is Italian. He goes, hey, cousin, I can deal with you, but I ain't going to deal with him. You know, th that mentality of, you know. Racism. It's yeah, called what it is. Yeah, crazy. Racism. Just, just, you know, it just, you know, kooky. It was just it was strange. It was yeah. strange. Oh, God, he was. A <laughs> he wasn't that dapper that night. No, no. And it's funny because uh, Sammy Gravano uh, said this, not to me, but on a, on a separate, uh, I think on a documentary, he was talking about this one night. God, he was telling him at that social club where he would hide out in the old lady's apartment yep. and conduct his business there. That how is Ravenite, this message? The Ravenite. The Ravenite. Thank you. You know, he was saying about something. How is this going to translate? How is this message going to translate to our people? And Gravano looked at him like he had five heads. He's like, our people, John, we're gangsters. <laughs> you know, So he really that's thought right. he was a head of state at one point. He had that that's much power. Happened. That's what happens. You know, yeah. it's, uh, you know, everybody thinks uh, uh, people in organized crime, especially Italian, Italian I'm a full-blooded Sicilian. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. John Gotti actually really couldn't be a made man. To be honest with you, he could, the wow. tradition of, of the mafia, because he wasn't a Sicilian, okay. But obviously, it, it, it changed. And right. listen, they were never nice. They put no. my grandfather out of business in the 1920s, and then they were called really the Black Hand. Okay? Yes, yeah, you yes. Know, they, they weren't even. It, we didn't use the, the term Cosa Nostra or, or, or mafia. You yeah. know, it, it was the Black Handers, and the they, were, yeah, and they preyed on their own people. If you think about it. They preyed on their own people, just like if you look at the uh, drug dealers in, in certain areas of the city, right? Mm -hmm. Who are they killing? Their own people. Mm -hmm. Their own people. We seem to prey on our own. So and it's not a good thing. Yeah. And that's it's funny because the, the similarities between Italian and Spanish, right? Me being Hispanic, you yeah, being same Italian. Thing. Same yeah, culture. Yep, Hot same tempers. culture. Yeah. Uh -huh. That was the first <laughs> Pretty thing woman. I learned. So, guy told me, he says, an, an old time, he said, you go into a Latin guy's house. And you berate him in front of his family, you're gonna have a bad day. You are. He said, you treat him with respect, you're gonna walk outside, he's gonna put his hands behind his back. That's and it. He yeah. right. And he was yeah, right. And he was right. He's right. Absolutely. And it's funny because we have great food. Both of our cultures have great food. We have very beautiful women. You know, I've oh. always said if I if I don't marry a Latina one day, I'm gonna marry an Italian woman because I love them just as much too. They don't love me back yet, but that's a different story for a different day. Yeah. So and then that that's we call it in Spanish sangre caliente, the hot blood. You know. Yeah. 
So it's funny. Yeah, we are. We have some. Uh, most of us, unfortunately, have uh, tempers, especially Sicilians. Oh God! You should have seen me during the ALCS with the Yankees. You know, uh -huh. <laughs> further testament to that. But I'll tell you, you know, quick note on the black hand. That's kind of how the bomb squad originated because Petrosino, yes. Lieutenant, just yeah. a quick note for the audience. Yes. Petrosino, yep, right. He basically, uh, you know, how they used to call for Petrosino when they needed it. He was no, they'd call for the Dago. <sighs> That's what the police commissioner would say. Call for the Dago. You know, he actually started out with what, what was known as a white wing. You know what a white wing is? No, tell me. Turn of the century. He was tell the me. guy like you see in a cartoon with the uh, uh, shovel sweeping the street. Yep. And the, and the trash can, that's mm -hmm. how Petrosino started. Wow. Okay? Believe it or not. But he was he was very, he caught the eye of not only Teddy Roosevelt, but of the police commissioner at the time because he was, he spoke Italian. He was sort of known in the neighborhood, you know, as a, a, a guy that really uh, took care of business. He was a tough guy. You know, people don't realize he was a tough guy. So obviously there were very few Italians right, uh, on the bomb squad, uh, it, it, you know, in, in 1900. We say 1903 is when it was started, okay. Uh, they really got the name of the bomb squad. For the New York Times gave the name of the bomb squad, actually, indirectly, yeah. Uh, it was the Italian squad. And actually, he had five guys, and only four of them were Italian, who could speak Italian, and one was French, who could speak French, okay. And uh, he basically in those days was able to, to take care of business. If you think about it, when we talk about counterterrorism today and, and we have people all over the world doing things, he was an intelligence gatherer. I mean, his methods today, uh, <laughs> they'd work very well, but they wouldn't be uh, well accepted, okay? Uh, but if you think about it, the use of plain clothes, uh, infiltrating, using... Uh, uh, Italians to, to break into the, the uh, black hand, you know, you weren't going to get an Irish cop to, to, to get into, uh, you know, a circle of Italians, okay? And there was, there was, there was a lot, there's a lot of names in the bomb squad people don't know. There was another detective who came later on named Amadeo Polagini. The guy was unbelievable. He went up against all these Italian anarchists, okay? Uh, and, you know, but Petrosino laid the groundwork. And within a few short years, it was actually in an office in Brooklyn, too. Sergeant uh, Anthony Vagar Ant Antonio Vagaris was in charge of the Brooklyn uh, part of the Italian squad. The, the, it, it was a lot. It became a lot bigger than four people. And then obviously, Petrus, you know, in 1909, he, he goes to uh, Italy, goes to Sicily. It's supposed to be a secret trip, and everybody knows the story. The mayor is, is uh, ranting and raving how his number one guy is over in Italy now uh, trying to uh, uh, investigate the black handers, you know? So, and unfortunately he was uh, murdered there. Yeah. Just One of quick, the largest funerals in New York City history. I was gonna say exactly that, just a, just a couple of quick notes on him. He was short. He So the NYPD oh, back then had a high requirement. Short. Yeah, he they bypassed it for him. Get on, but they, because of his, his uh, he, he was built like a bull. Yeah, uh, and and he he spoke the language and he knew all the players on the street and he was I, they were able to transition him into the police department. In those days, you know, you you, you paid to get on the police department. People don't realize that you yeah. paid an alderman five hundred whatever whatever it was the equivalent to five hundred dollars, and then maybe you got into the police department. 
It wasn't like the civil service. Let's go. There's a big test on the NYPD. You know, it, it, you know, it was different. It yeah. was different then. So they had more latitude who they could bring in and who, who they couldn't bring in. Okay. Big history with the bomb squad. Not only with Italians, with the German saboteurs and the whole thing. We can mm -hmm. keep going on. Uh, Black Tom Island, 1914, right? At the time, Thomas Tunney was the CEO of the bomb squad. Thomas Tunney, I mean, that's a name. Look him up. You'll be amazed what that guy had, had done, uh, Thomas Tunney. In fact, uh, he had, during, uh, during the First World War, he took about 18 guys, and they sort of left the police department, and they trained bomb squads all over the country, military bomb squads, okay? And they came back about three or four years later, like in 1918, and uh, they weren't treated very well. But, but Tony in himself is, is a historic figure who doesn't get a lot of credit. You know, he really doesn't. If you research Thomas Tunney, he was, he was an amazing man. Uh, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of the St. Patrick's bombing where they, the bomb squad foiled the, the bombers. Yes. They were laying yep. the bombs. Well, that Tunney was in charge then. And that information came from Amadeo Polagini, Detective Polagini. Yes. Because he had infiltrated... Uh, parts of the black hand okay and uh he was a mock man but you know he he lived to tell the tale no of course no a lot of history and that's the thing you know um petrosino just another note on him he was a history maker in life and in death because he's the only and hopefully it stays this way he's the only american right. police officer to ever die in the line of duty overseas yes. to this day and he was the yes. first casualty there are six plaques on the uh, bomb squad's memorial wall, as I said before, he's the first one. First and one. I think it was yeah. March 11th, 1909. Back to your career real quick, just before I touch on OCCB. You made sergeant. Tell me about making sergeant. Did you always want to send in the ranks when you got on the job, or was uh, it just a happy accident? No, nah, I, I wasn't really a rank guy. I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, to be honest with you, I was sort of a... Uh, <laughs> I told you, I was good with people. I wasn't right. afraid to talk on the radio, so I sort of was like a... And you remember, I came on, I was 28 years old. I'd been in the military, been in the military police. And so I, I sort of, I was a little cocky. And I was able to do things. Uh, I took the sergeant's test. I passed. I wasn't, I wasn't a rocket scientist. I used my veterans points. That helped me quite a bit. So I got in like in the third or fourth round. So I ended up a sergeant in Greenwich Village, right? And that was the best thing that ever happened, you know, being a, a sergeant. Did a, a two years on patrol. We had something called the Cabaret Squad. If you look, there's a couple of uh, documentaries. I'm trying to think of his name. He did it uh, uh, for WOR when the village, Greenwich Village, was out of control in like 1990, 1991. And uh, he did a, a, a documentary called Take Back the Village, where he stayed with us for a week. And I mean, back then, though, we had the support of the people in the village. We had the support of the community boards, you know, and we, it, the cops in the 6th Precinct, everybody says, oh, it's the 6th Precinct, it's small. They did more physical fighting than most cops would do anywhere. When I tell you the guys that I worked with, they were brawling every weekend. I'm talking about knockdown, drag out fights, you know, but our job was to win and we won and we always won. And then uh, it, about two years after that, I, I became the anti-crime sergeant and I stayed there for the next almost eight years. Hmm. On patrol, did you just quickly? Did you work the same tours as Michael Mixon? Yeah, I, did I know? I of course I knew Mike. Yeah, Mike. Uh, me and Mike actually went to Huntsville together to bomb okay. together. But I knew Mike before 
because when when Mike was doing midnights, but then he went to anti-crime, he worked with another uh, a sergeant, Billy Abramo, great guy, and uh, a great team he had. And I became the, the other sergeant in anti-crime. So I knew Mike very well. I got to know him very well. And one night I was playing cards with a couple of the guys in one of the guys' houses from anti-crime. I get a phone call. Mike got shot. In 96. Mike got shot. I said, where is he? He's at St. Vincent's Hospital uh, here in Staten Island. So obviously I leave the card game. I was winning too, but I left the <laughs> card game. I get there and he's sitting up. He's asking people for a cigarette. He's got a bullet in him. He's asking people, you know, he's gone once with all, but he, Mike would have very talk like this. Let me tell you something. He was a quiet hero in a lot of ways. Not only that, I saw him come back after the building collapsed 9-11. If you saw that boy's body all bruised up, Mike was quite a guy. Even back then, Mike was, was a good guy. Anti-crime days, a lot of fun. A funny guy. A funny yep. guy. The rookies would come. He would torture them. He would, I mean, he, it was fun being a cop around Mike, you know? And, and he was a very knowledgeable guy, a good guy. And uh, so, much, you know, like I say, he, he was a Marine. What can I say? You know, and it's it's funny. I know he's not a podcast guy. I respect that. That's fine. But, man, if he ever changes his mind one day, I'd love to get him on this show, man. He, 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 let's, let's look, Mike, uh, I, I'll tell you something. Mike, for Sergeant, Mike was a sergeant's dream. He made you look good. Fortunately, a lot of guys that we had uh, in, in the six piece, especially in anti-crime, in those days you got to choose your guys. You know, I... They, they say, oh, you guys, you, you, you do great. They, you know, they, they pay me compliments. Oh, no, no, pay them the compliment. I'm the guy sitting in the back seat. I may run around a little bit and do a little fighting, but they're the guys. They're the guys that are really doing all the work, okay? So I was very fortunate. And, and a lot of us that, that, that worked in that command, there was a lot of great people in the 6th Precinct, you know? As small as it was, there was a lot going on, and the food was great. <laughs> I don't doubt it. There's a wide array of cuisine specifically in that area because there's a wide array of different people in that area. Talk about diversity. You know, just a quick note on anti-crime. You guys were the precinct anti-crime squad, but the street crime also existed at the same right. time. And sometimes they would come over since it was a citywide unit and stay right. with you guys for a little bit. How'd you get along with them? Not a problem. It's, mm -hmm. it, not, not a problem. They, they, you know, if the few times that they would come over, it, it would be for something like... There'd be a, a certain type of padding that we'd have to work together. But they were able to make their own collars in other places. They really, you know, they weren't really uh, intruding on us, to be honest with you. Uh, we had our, our, we made plenty of collars in anti-crime. Uh, you know what I mean? And we really didn't have a, a friction with them, to be honest with you. A lot of people I know, they say, they say that, but nah, not there. We also worked very good with the anti-crimes in the 10th precinct, the 13th precinct, the 1st precinct. You know, I mean, we were all good. You know, we shared the same division on the radio. So we would hook up a lot of times and say, oh, we're, we're following a couple of these guys and whatever. It looks like they broke into one car. It looks like they're going to take another car. Maybe they're going to do a robbery. And, you know, it, it was teamwork. One thing about Manhattan South, it was teamwork. I, I, I have to admit it was teamwork. I want to touch on Organized Crime Control Bureau because, again, such an interesting beat. And I've talked about this before with guys who are in OCCB. When people think of organized crime naturally because of the way it's portrayed in media with shows like The Sopranos and movies like Goodfellas, right. they think of the mob. But it's beyond that. 
there's gangs in every culture. We talked about yeah, it. There's Spanish drug dealers, there's black right. mobsters, there's Jewish mobsters, Irish mobsters, and all of that in a city of 8 million people. Again, if it's classified, don't tell me about that part of it with these investigations. But as far as the different array of gangs that you guys worked on, because you were doing wiretaps too. Tell yes, me about I some of the more notable cases. Yeah. On, on drug deals, but uh, uh, did they have connections with organized crime figures? Yeah. But the, but the organized crime figures they were sort of dealing with were sort of wannabes or made guys on a lower level. And they were basically uh, patsies for them doing the work, you know, selling an eight ball, a Coke here, an eight ball here or there, you know, and, and we try to build it up into more and more. But yeah, we, we, we were able to do, thank, for the, thank God for the Richmond County uh, District Attorney's Office. They were very pro-law enforcement. They were good to us. I, I could tell you a time I walked in, we used to arraign our own prisoners in the early days. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'll cut to the chase. He, uh, he shouldn't have thrown a punch at my partner because my partner was about 6'5 and about 270 pounds. But he's not the guy. He's the easy guy. I'm the little Italian guy with the temper. So unfortunately, the guy comes in uh, with, you know, we have to take him to the hospital because he's markings. <laughs> yeah, well, you look at my nose. He, he just about broke my nose. So, you know, he, he wasn't, you know, he comes in and once the judge saw all this and heard all this, he's basically got off the bench and started screaming. They loved us in Staten Island in those days. They loved the cops because they lived here. They knew us. And uh, I mean, it, it was a great system. I mean, uh, you know, when I went to Brooklyn and other places, it was good, but it wasn't that personal because it was large. Right. You know what I mean, I, we knew all the DAs. We, you know, it, it was good, especially in the organized crime control bureau. I worked with one of the two DAs that would handle all our cases. Mm -hmm. You know, and they were very, very good. You know, if they weren't living in Long Island or Rockland County, I don't know what it's like now because I remember Amanda Farinacci telling me this. The current FDNY press secretary, she was on the show, that's getting a little bit more expensive. But that's the that's the one borough in the city, cops and firemen alike. And settle down in because it's not at least back then it wasn't that hard on the wallet right yeah yeah well Staten Island is you talk about Staten Island it's notorious yeah. for uh you know we, we're all cops in my block alone here firemen next door two cops I know one is a chief we're they're all retired they're here across the street it's just you know it's a haven for uh, civil servants no. There you go. Exactly. I've always said if I ever did move to the city, I could I would probably try to settle in either Staten Island or Queens because I, I like yeah. the city to visit. I can't imagine. And I don't know. I, I talked about it with Steve Burbridge when he was on. Same thing with Danny Richards. They said Danny Richards loved living in Manhattan. I don't but yeah. again. He seemed like a fast paced guy. I'm not. I don't know how people can handle that. Danny was the best. I, I got to know Danny even before I got to the bomb store because he's probably a six precinct guy. Right. And yeah. I, I would run into him every day. In fact, a lot of these guys sort of uh, prepared the way for me. Hmm. You know, I, I mean, right. they were always telling me, why don't you put in? Why? In, in my day, you didn't have to go for an interview for uh, like a, I was offered a position in the squad in the six precinct. I didn't have to go for an interview if I wanted to leave. To, to, to possibly go to internal affairs or whatever. It, it was different then. That, that wasn't starting then. I loved being out on the street. I loved it. I loved Manhattan. I loved the fast pace of it. And I didn't want to sit upstairs in a suit, you know, doing that kind of stuff, you know. But the more and more I got to, to experience the guys in a bomb squad, the, the Danny Riches, you know, the, 
I could go on and on. Richie Teach, Kevin Barry's, all of them. I mean, you know, uh, in my 18th year, I said, you know something? I'm going to put in for this thing. And I did. I, you know, after 18 years, I put in for it. So they basically, I would say, especially Danny and, and guys like Danny, they sort of uh, were my sedge into the bomb squad. Mark Torrey, the lieutenant there. Right. And it's funny. Uh, I think... If I remember correctly, I was on the board when we interviewed Paulie, right? And Paulie was you know, a star. I mean, you know, he, one he truck was guy. Was great. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the guy is just, you know, and the irony of it is I got to the bomb squad, and then my son, who was a detective, and then a detective in a sixth precinct, was going to go to homicide, and Paulie convinced him to go to the bomb squad. Best move he ever made. And I thank <laughs> Paulie for that all the time. I thank him all the time. I mean, it, it's a funny thing being in that sixth precinct. Uh, it's a sedge way. A lot of six precinct guys sometimes get to the bomb squad. It's only because the guys get to know the guys, you know? Right. Yes. And, it, and it's, a, and it's back then. It, 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 I, and I'm sure, you know, even now like, things change. I mean, uh, there's not a lot of Paulie Pericones out there. And I don't, I don't say that to blow smoke, but it's the truth. Paulie had a work ethic. I was, uh, I think I was first sergeant. We were the B team. He did not stop work. He'd come in, check the trucks. He's cleaning. He's cooking. He's doing. He's going nonstop. He, and uh, just you know, he he was a pleasure to be around. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, of course, and he's a great guy. I love Paul. He's oh, been on the show multiple times, and and I know he's tuned in tonight. And he told me this story off the air uh, about G Jimmy Carano, another great guy. That yeah. to his work to his work ethic, right? A testament to Paulie's work ethic. They were cleaning up at the range, and they were stacking all these garbage bags. And Jimmy Carano from the range calls the Manhattan office. He says, you got to stop. These garbage bags are going to the roof. And Paulie's like, <laughs> oh, call yeah. the maintenance guys, and they'll pick them up. You know, but yeah. They were literally cleaning the place up to the point where the trash almost didn't fit. You know, Paulie did not. Yeah, he was uh, a clean freak. But I'll tell you As what, am I. He, he, he was good at his job. And he was good because he knew when you had downtime, you could do other things. We'd go out, Paulie, we'd, we'd try stuff. Like we'd go out with Ray Claire and Kenny Dean, and we're at the range. We'd try to uh, shoot the pan in different ways. We'd look at different – we'd like to play. With, you know what I'm saying? And, and Paulie was good. It's good. Paulie was good with that. Paulie was good basically with everything. <laughs> No, no doubt. And uh, Paulie, by the way, speaking of before I continue, if, if you talk to Kenny Dean at all, uh, give him my number and tell him I'm looking for him so he can give me a call. I'd like to have him on the show. Uh, but that being said, you know, I guess we can get to the bomb squad now. This is Tales from the Boom Room, Volume 33, uh, Profiles of the NYPD's Arson Explosion and Bomb Squad. It's 2000 and it's a squad in a little bit of a transition. You get there. Mike Omixon gets there, too. Right. Brian Tui, after a lengthy stint there, he retires about a couple months right. after you get there. And, and there was a change in leadership. Don Sadawi retired that uh, October. And with that, Mike White retired, too. And in came Jerry Sheehan. So it's a, it's a little bit of a switch around for the squad. So just before I get to 01 and, and that terrible day, just tell me about your first year in the squad. Well, obviously, yeah, the, the, the sad part was 9-11. But when I first got there, remember, I was a guy from patrol. I was a little more uh, uh, relaxed. Uh, you know, there was suit and tie. You know, I, I really, you know, was not a suit and tie. I had to go out and buy suits and, and whatever. You know, I used to come in, <laughs> poor Lieutenant Sheehan, you know, I, I guess he never dealt with anybody like me because I, I put Dean Martin music on, Frank Sinatra, 
you know, I, I, I'm trying to liven up the office a little bit. But but he was a good guy. Uh, but remember, he was a squad guy for a long time, so he he sort of ran a tight ship. You know, he came from Austin Explosion. Good guy, fair guy. And he wanted everybody, you know, like in suit and tie. And the more I, I was exposed to running out on each other, I said, this is really not a suit and tie job. I mean, guys would, I remember Kenny Dean, we zipped up his pants, we ripped his pants. Every time he was putting on the suit, you know, you know, guys going for, you know, we really, but I got it. We were in the detective bureau and that's what we had to do. The 9-11 happens. And then uh, it, it just was, you know, a disaster. I mean, Danny Garcia, I saw Danny the night he left. Uh, you know, Danny had just come back from bereavement leave too. His brother had passed away, who was a Vietnam vet, who was a quadriplegic. And uh, Danny was, uh, you know, Danny was an Army Ranger. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, he was. Funny. Yeah, I, know that. I have a picture of him with his helmet. It says 228. That was our command number in the, in the bomb squad, 228. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I saw him his last night, and uh, unfortunately. And uh, the story I always tell, uh, it was about four weeks after uh, when they said, okay, we're not finding anybody. We're, everybody's gone. So we got to start moving on. We got to start declaring people dead. Lieutenant Sheehan uh, and myself escorted Danny's brother. Uh, I think his name was Jim, if I remember correctly, to Danny's apartment. We get now. Have, have, people have told you about Danny, right? He was an organizational genius. Yep. Yep. This guy was an organizational genius. I'll tell you, I, I, I can't even get into it. And he was, he was, he was sharp. He, he was a sharp guy. We go into the apartment, there's soft music playing. So, you know, we're going to look for whatever, we'll look for Will, and he, whatever. So his brother sits down at his desk, and the first thing he does is he opens the drawer, the right-hand drawer. And what does he see? We see Danny's shield, his rack with all his medals on it, and right underneath it is his uh, Detectives Endowment Association last will and testament. I think Danny had a feeling he wasn't coming home that day. I, I really do. I really do, unfortunately. You know, they, they, he, 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 was, he was a great guy. And like I say, we, um, we, they found Danny uh, on Good Friday, the following Good Friday. He was one of the last people to be found. And, uh, you know, it was tough. A lot of guys got hurt. Stephen Burbage, who I just saw upstate, he got hurt. Michael Mixon, who never even complained once. Uh, I, I tried to force him to make a line of duty. He didn't even want to do that. A lot of guys, you know, a lot of guys did. But a lot of guys did get hurt and have to retire. Yeah. And, Danny uh, McNally got hurt. Yeah, Dan got hurt. Dan, another good guy. Yeah, Dan, you know. Uh, the two Dannys were, were, you know, and Dan was an Air Force guy. He was an yep. Air Force OSI guy. He's been on this show. Yeah. Yeah, he's a good guy. And I was in the, I used to tease him. I used to say, yeah, I was an investigator. We used to do more arrests than you used to make an OSI. Yeah, I used to tease him. <laughs> Dan is sharp guy. Another sharp guy. Yep. Those two guys were very, very sharp and good people. You could learn a lot from them, willing to share. Especially, I came there from patrol. I had guys, I was fortunate. Dennis Mulcahy was there. First thing he does is hand me all kinds of wires and batteries, explaining circuits to me and stuff. Even though I'm the sergeant, I mean, it, 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 I, I was fortunate that there was a lot of good people there when I was there. You know, they didn't last long because after 9-11, they were forced to retire. Right. 
a you lot know, of good guys. It didn't last away. long, but I still had plenty of good people there. So I was real lucky when I got to the bomb squad. Oh, you mentioned Dennis Mulcahy. It'd be nice if you actually came on the show, Dennis. Just saying. Dennis is a Dennis is a saint. They're gonna. I think I, I'm pretty sure that uh, he needs one more miracle and he becomes a saint. One <laughs> might have been a card trick, but I'm not sure. <laughs> Good guy. He's just busy. I mean, he's got Project Children. So, I mean, I, I speak to his wife every now and then. And she's like, I think you should give up in the Irish program. Like, I never give up. So, no, I, yeah. hopefully I he, can. He's, he, he's, he's quite a legend in the bomb squad. Oh, for sure. For good sure. Man. He was there a long time. He was there a very long oh, time. Yeah. I, I just a, uh, and a good man. I mean, just uh, always smiling. He always knew if he had a problem, he'd tell me, well, you know, he'd see me with a, uh, a look on his face. And he knew exactly what was wrong. You know, yeah. he's just a good guy. Yeah, good guy, great guy. A lot of them were, of course. I will backtrack for a second. Um, I know Eddie Hayes, who's been on the show as well, another great guy. He oh. retired. Eddie Hayes. Uh, he retired yes, yes, in yes. in nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. Okay, so he retired in ninety nine as a sergeant, one of the sergeants in the bomb squad. Right. Was his retirement was that the one that opened up your opportunity to get in? Uh, probably. It opened up too because. Also, Brian Coughlin got there right before me, a couple of months before me. I don't know okay. if you met Brian. Great night. I know Brian, yeah. Haven't and, met him and in it's funny, Brian indirectly uh, inherited. Uh, I sort of had to fill in for a little bit uh, on. Uh... With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Danny's work, which thank God he was a genius. Everything was set up, but I wasn't really that good at it. The Intel coordinator role. He was another guy, a good organizational guy. I mean, he, he was good at it. You know, a young guy, but good at it. And, uh, yeah, but I think that uh, that was one of them that, that opened up. Uh, I'm trying to think who else was there. Uh, Renzi, I think, left, too. Guy Renzi. Sergeant Renzi. Yep. Sergeant Renzi. He was another nice guy. I used to go up and talk to him all the time. Yeah. Sergeant Renzi. In fact, a uh, funny story. You mentioned Lieutenant White. I said, one of these days I'm going to be working for you. He goes, while I'm here, you're never going to get to the bomb squad. Right? So I'll get there. I'll get there. He, yeah, he always teased me. He, he, another nice guy. He was a surfer. He loved to go surfing. I don't know yeah. if I told you that. No, I haven't had him on the show yet, but I, 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 see him on, I, I see him on Facebook and every other photo is him surfing. You know, he loves it. No, and, and good for him. I mean, listen, he, he put he, after a career that he had, any kind of downtime is uh, certainly well-earned. This is yes. volume 33 of Tales from the Boom Room. Our guest tonight is uh, Sergeant Tony Piandalillo. And, it, you know, it, it is funny, to your point on uh, on Danny, and just a last note on 9-11, I think Jimmy Carano was in the apartment with you with Dennis Mulcahy, if I'm not mistaken. And it's the same that thing. Was a, that was later. That At the first time that we went in, 
to get Danny stuff was with uh, uh, his brother, uh, Lieutenant Sheen and his brother. But yes, they were in other times. They, we had to go. There was other things that had, had to be done. Right. Right. And I appreciate, you know what? It goes to show the camaraderie uh, even after a member dies. And this part touched me is that guys would go. And I think Jimmy told me this. They would check his apartment and just make sure that it was exactly yes. as he left it. Yes, yeah, yeah, without a doubt. No, you guys did right by him. You guys did. And he listen, he died a hero. I would have loved to have him on the show, man. I've said that numerous times. Oh, I, he, I don't he, know he, if he, he would have done it, but. He, he like I say, I, I knew him for years before I, I actually worked in, this, in, in the bomb squad. Because, you know, I was up there. Uh, the sergeant's locker room was right by the office. I was always in there talking with Renzi or him or, or whatever. And uh, Danny was just, uh, I mean, not, let me tell you, that guy, his hair, not a hair out of place. Yeah. Not a nah. hair out of place. And, and, it, and it's funny. I had Joe Dolan on just now, and I'll get to the new guys that came in. And second, he came in summer of 2001 to Joe. And Joe took Danny, was one of the guys that drove with Danny down to the Trade Center. And Faith Beiser was there answering the phones because that was Danny's job. And he pulls down a pair of boots from his locker. And he looked at Joe excitedly and he said, I got these boots at the last World Trade Center. Now I'm finally gonna get now I'm finally gonna get the chance to wear them. And Faith Beiser looks at him and says, I need some help answering the phones. He's like, Oh no, 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 no. I'm going down there. Yeah. <laughs> so well, yeah, you know, uh there was a lot going on. There were yeah. uh and that day, uh, I'll be honest with you, uh we had uh, immediately Nassau and Suffolk, they sent us guys with equipment. And we were able to sort of uh, match them up, one of theirs yep. with one of ours. Yep. There was a thousand, almost a thousand jobs that day. Most of them were unfounded because everybody now it's everything it's paranoia. is a bomb. Everybody right. has the truck. Every piece of trash is now a bomb. So, but they were running like crazy. But uh, Nassau and Suffolk were the bomb community in general uh, is a very close knit community. I mean, uh, when I was. Uh, Going with Homeland Security and I would do these uh, events, these exercises out in California with their bomb squad. They didn't even know me, but just being a bomb guy, it like opens the door for you, you know? Right. They, it's they, an exclusive it was, community. You know, you know, I'm retired. They said, oh, yeah, you want to cap up? Cap up. I, you know, I'm, but my point is, it, it, it's, it's a close-knit community, you know? And especially like in, in, in the bomb squad in New York, it, it was very close in the office. It, it was a great place to work. Oh, of course. And, you know, it's interesting because after that day, it's not just as I've covered before, it's not just dealing with losing Danny and not just the good detective and the good person he was, but obviously all that knowledge, too, that died with him that oh. day. Now yeah. it's now it's the added uh, work. The work has skyrocketed because there's a natural fear and paranoia after something like this to what you just said. Oh. And you have new members coming in. You got Joe Dolan coming in. You got Paulie, like, like we mentioned earlier, Ronnie Richards, Steve Lanos, all these emergency service guys coming in. Glenn Osterman. Uh, and it's tough because even though they ended up being great techs and they ended up really being true assets to the squad, now you got to break them in. Now you got to train them in addition to all this skyrocketing work that's going on. So tell me about your 2002, your 2003 in the bomb squad. Uh, 2002, 2003, uh, we were obviously from October till the uh, summertime running back and forth between uh, uh if we weren't covering the city doing jobs we were either at the landfill uh, uh we had an office at the landfill with the recovery effort and also at, at the trade center and what i was doing basically it, 
being a new guy, I was fortunate. I had guys like Joe Patowski, another guy. He helped me immensely, immensely. Uh, you know, so I was able to sort of get better at it. You know, traditionally, the sergeants in the bomb squad, we sort of run interference. So they, the guys will always tease us. They'll say, we do all the real work. And in essence, they do. I mean, but there, there wasn't a sergeant there who had a problem with, with, with suiting up, it, it, you know, if need be. But you didn't never stepped on the guys, you know. Right. They, they wanted to be there. They wanted to be, you know, be in that suit as much as I wanted to do it. Every once in a while, I remember Tommy Sullivan, another great guy. He'd say, "Okay, go in the suit," you know. That was for me. That was so I could get better. You know what I mean? At it. See, the, the the more you do these things, no matter what they are. Like I used to tell some emergency guys would sometimes tell me, "Hey, Tony, I'm sorry we called you for this." I go. I go, why are you sorry? I said, every time we respond, right? We respond like it's game day. You're doing it, we're doing it. Because one day, they're going to open that box and it ain't going to be good. I said, so, you know, the more we do it, the more bomb techs get into a suit, the better they are in a suit. Uh, the more they deal with, sometimes uh, they can't always be in a suit. That's a decision that they, they have to make. And one thing about, uh, since I traveled around to bomb squads, like Paulie's doing now, He'll tell you, uh, they didn't even talk years ago about the hand entry. Only the NYPD did hand entry. And people just say, well, why do you guys have to do that? I said, because you can't get a robot 14 stories up when the elevator ain't working. You know what I mean? You know, they got to do things. I mean, and sometimes uh, you're in a crowd. I, I think I remember what was it, St. Patrick's Day. I think it was me, Paulie, Ray. And we had a clear packages on the street. And like, Paulie just went to work. There was no getting a bomb suit on. You, know, you throw a bomb suit on and, you know, you got 10,000 people there. You basically evaluated it. We did what we had to do and, you know, and make it and you make it work. And uh, like I say, there's no guarantee in anything that a, a bomb technician does. You know, there's, there's, there's just no guarantee. But thankfully, most of the time, it's nothing. Thankfully. That's true. That's true. And you know what? I think it's a testament to you guys for what you did in that aftermath in 02, because like I said, it's not just the new guys coming in who ended up being the next generation of the bomb squad. Yeah. Like I said, doing a really great job. It's all that knowledge that left because not just with Danny's death, that in 2002, you mentioned some of them, Richie Teamsman retired, Paul Richie, Yerku yeah, retired, Kevin Barry retired, Dennis Mulcahy retired, Jerry Sheehan retired. So you had yeah. all these really smart guys yeah. walk out that door. Yeah. It's like, Holy crap, how are we going to replace them? And even though each guy has their own unique flavor, again, yeah. these new guys came in. You, you, know? you know, you really couldn't replace those guys. Right. Uh, it's like uh, we had an old timers day once. Paulie, I don't know if Paulie ever told you a story, but one day I let him tell you a story. Paulie was there. There's a bunch of us there. And uh, we had a lot of old timers there. Is this the 100th anniversary? Uh this was be right after. Okay. I'm trying to, I think it was 2000. We did this maybe in 2004. Maybe it was in okay. right in that time. But we had an old timers day. We're blowing stuff up at the range with them, showing them new equipment and stuff. Now, some of these guys were 80 years old. Now, these guys had nothing, nothing. We lived, I used to tell guys, no, everybody loves the NYPD bomb squad. They think we're, we're, we're hot stuff. But you know something? We're riding off their backs. These guys did a lot of stuff with their hands. They didn't have a lot of equipment, okay? Uh, 
And there were more, there were more actual bombings then, right? You know, you had it. You had the weathermen. You had all this other stuff going on. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, there, there was there was a lot going on, and uh, we did lose a lot. But believe it or not, like even that one old timers day, the old timers would tell you stories, and you got to learn. You got to learn. Like I, I, I never knew like uh, that in the '60s. Uh, some of these anarchists per se, they would take pipes and put human excrement in the pipe and keep them for about a month, capped up. And it builds pressure inside. So when the bomb squad would get there, they knew in those days, a lot of times they opened those things manually. And, uh, you know, uh, it gave a new turn to getting, I won't say, something faced. You know? Ah. Yeah. You know? But it was a little, like, I learned it from an old time, laughing, you know. Uh, and a lot of guys did that. We, we learned a lot from them, you know. Uh, so we at least had that. But I'll tell you something. The guys like Paulie, Ronnie Richards, and other Ronnie was Ronnie Ray Buckowitz. Those guys could build devices. I mean, those they were they were good at it. They just they loved it. They were good at it. Uh, I remember Ronnie, God rest his soul, was trying to rig up the urinal so something would pop when you move the way. You know, like when it flushes with the flushing device. It, he he was just another great guy. He was very close with Paul. They were they were uh, good buddies, and everybody loved Ronnie. I mean, Ronnie was a uh, he. Couldn't say enough. It's odd that two Richards would die as a result of 9-11, uh, right? Yeah, one on 9-11 and one because yeah, one, of it years one, later. One, one got a death sentence on 9-11. Yeah. He just didn't die that day. Right, that's, that's how true. That's how I looked at it. He that's got, true. You know, he, was, you know he, he, he got it on 9-11, and uh, it, it just took longer for him to die, unfortunately. Yeah, I wish you would have had more time. And just a quick shout out to our friends in the live chat. I see you, Diane B, and, and you, Dizzy, as well at 1969. He has great fire service videos on his channel, so go check them out. I, Ronnie, I wish, because he had 18 years in the PD and he had to retire because of his, his cancer. I would have liked to have seen that guy have more time because he had a lot of really, again, knowledgeable guy, another former E-man. I think he was a five-truck guy. I yeah. think if you would have given that guy a full 25, 30-year career, I would have liked to have seen what he would have done. And I never knew him, so I can only imagine how much yeah. of a pleasure it was for he you guys was, to know him and work with him. You know why he was so good? Because he, he always had a, I can't say the word here, you told me, uh, he had a grin on his face, you know, the eating grin? Yep. He always had that. He was always smiling. Hey, you know, hey, Sarge, how you doing? A great guy. Everybody loved him. And I think he was so relaxed that his mind, he, he was... <laughs> You know, he he was just uh, uh, like I say, he was a great device builder. Him and him and Ray Buckowitz, like they would booby trap things for the next team coming in. <laughs> hey buddy, his big thing. Hey buddy, Paulie just reminded me. Hey buddy, hey buddy, everything was hey buddy. You know, I, I loved them. I loved uh, you know. I, I listen, I, I loved them all, but I had I, I hate to say you have favorites, but some some they just. They were more like I say. I think me. They like to joke around a little bit, serious, but they like to joke around. Yeah, uh, but, levity uh, helps in a job like that. You need to laugh because it's high I mean, tension stuff. Do. In police work in general, you have yeah. to, you know, uh, sort of ease up a little bit because, right. you know, I mean, uh, everybody has memories, you know, uh, and yet you had some. Some are good, some are bad, and some are in between. Uh, but but you sort of. You, you you fight it off with other things. You joke around, uh, you know. You do things uh, uh, 
you know, you just corny things. You, you, you tease other guys sometimes. I used to tease one of the guys in the squad. I didn't realize it was bothering so much until his cousin told me, and then I stopped because I teased everybody. You asked poorly. I, you know, I would say things that today probably wouldn't fly. Oh, and I was the EEO coordinator. <laughs> yeah, so that was a joke. But uh, uh, no, but you know, you know what I'm saying. But you could do things like that in those days. It, it right. was different. It wasn't and, malicious. It was. It was with love. No, no, and and in a smaller smaller unit, it, it, you sort of get to know who. And everybody was when I was there. Everybody was a pretty good sport. You know, everybody. So I, you know, I was I was lucky. You know, I had I had a I had a, a charmed career. I, I worked with the greatest people in the world. Whether I worked in the one to old precinct, uh, you know. Oh, uh, Captain Roosh, Lieutenant Roosh, is who I modeled myself after. I couldn't ah. think of his name. Shame on me. He was the best cop I ever knew. He, even when he was a captain, if it hit the fan, no matter what it was, if he showed up. You were happy. Right. Yeah. Captain Roosh was, was, you know, he was Lieutenant Roosh when I first met him. His son was on a job to a mountain, another good guy. But his, his dad, I, I think of his dad often. I mean, myself and a couple of other supervisors that knew him, uh, that worked playing clothes out in Staten Island or whatever. Uh, if you asked him, that's the one name that comes up. Mm. That's uh, Captain Roosh. Mm. Yeah. Okay, there's, there's another guy I want to ask you about before I get to that. The 100th anniversary, um, you know, in 2003, and it's bittersweet because there's certain guys like Brian Murray, obviously mm -hmm. like Socha and Lynch, like Danny Richards that could not be there because they lost their lives heroically. But there was plenty of guys that could be there. And at the range, Jeff Oberdeer told me this story about trying to put this together. I have a picture here, and I love it. This is from the Spring 3100 edition covering oh, yeah. at uh, yeah, summer 2003. Yep, range up, day oh, with the old timers. Okay. Yeah, there's yep. Ronnie, there's uh, Ray, there's Sergeant DiMafio, there's uh, Bobby Duke, Paulie standing right in front of him. Uh, a lot of old timers, Pete Majors, God rest his soul, a lot of these guys aren't gone. Uh, Brian's next to me, Hearn, uh, Ray Claire, uh, uh, Bill, um, I've lost for his name. <laughs> I mean, uh, see the guy in the white shirt and the white hat? Yeah. Bill, I just can't think of his name. Maybe Paul, you'll remember or somebody. There's Steve Lanos. I see but, the notes in there. Uh, yeah, I think he was. Uh, that's I the red shirt. Which one? The red, yeah. the one in the red shirt, right next to Ronnie. I think that's Lenos. Yes, that's Lenos. Yeah, uh, I've teased Lenos like crazy, and he would <laughs> still today. If he sees me, he breaks my chops. I break his chops. He sees my son. Same thing. Yeah. But uh, there's a lot of get. There's so much experience. What you're you're seeing there beyond us. I mean, beyond us. I mean. Jeff Obadier is in the right corner there. Now, mm -hmm. Jeff was in the Air Force for 10 years uh, doing EOD work. I, yeah. I, I traveled with him quite a bit. We even worked at LSU together uh, 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 for a while. And another very knowledgeable guy. You know, a lot of fun. That day was a – when we took that picture, let's just say that an hour before, there was a little bit of chaos. <laughs> Jeff told me. Jeff. <laughs> a little bit. Just a little bit. Jeff gave me a glimpse of uh, when he was on the show last year, uh, you know, uh, about uh, what happened there. He's like, oh, my God, I thought they were going to throw me out of the squad. <laughs> I got a phone call. I reached out Nextel. I got a phone call and yelling and screaming. And all I said is, everybody's okay. Click. And that was it. 
And then we did, we had to do Paulie, me, whatever. We, we did what? Ronnie. Ronnie built that bunker. Yeah. Basically, he rebuilt it. Yeah. You know, wow. I mean, it, listen, not one person got hurt. The design of the uh, bunker and the design of the berm protected everyone. But it was, it was, it, it's, it's a testament to what fireworks can do, what mm -hmm. a sympathetic explosion can do. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know what I mean? It, it, these fireworks uh, sometimes, uh, when they go off sympathetically, it, they're very powerful. Oh yeah, for sure. And yeah. you know, thankfully, like I said, you know, Jeff, oh, yeah. uh, nobody got but hurt. Jeff was fine. The old timers were cheering. They, he and told they, me. They gave me a picture of when they blew up the range. <laughs> In the sixties, they said you're not the first. No, I get but it. I, I, uh, it was, it was a great day. Yeah, it, was it sounds day. like it. A great oh. summer day in the Bronx, 2003. They'll remember it for years to come. And I'm pretty sure whenever you guys see each other in person, that story always comes up one way or another. The laugh oh, is still yeah. is strong. Yeah, yeah. One, one job I wanted to ask you about. I don't know if you were retired by this point because it happened in 05. When there was that explosion outside the British consulate. Were you still on the job for that one, or had you retired by that point? Outside, um, no, I think I was gone already. Okay, because that, uh, yeah, I was gone already. Because that happened when in, in like oh uh, five. Yeah, let me see. Like, let, me, let me see. Uh, let me type it in right here on the old interwebs. I forgot when that happened. British consulate explosion. Let's see. I'm just going to type it in momentarily and find the answers. Live podcasting, as I always say, at its finest, folks. Bear with me. And this was May 5th, 2005. Two small explosions went off in a large yeah. cement planter outside a building in the British Consulate on 3rd Avenue. Yeah, no, I wasn't there for that. Or I wasn't working that day, just, you know, mm -hmm. if I was. So, uh, well, go ahead. I, huh? no, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no. <laughs> a job that I remember, you see, being you got Paulie here, uh, me, Paulie, Ray, uh, Kenny Dean, and Andy Ray, we had a job at the subway station in Times Square of an explosion. A pipe bomb went off. And uh, they figured it out in no time. It was a, a transit cop. I was going to say, was yeah. The next day. Yeah. But uh, Paulie and Ray and the boys, they figured it out. They figured it out in no time. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, they, they were good guys. They were not only... Good bomb technicians. They were good street cops. Uh, good detectives. You know, uh, just because you worked in emergency service doesn't mean you couldn't be a good detective. Right. You know, you were probably a handier detective than most detectives are. You, you know what I mean? Exactly. Uh, in a lot of ways. So you know, but we had a good mix, and and you have to have a good mix. You know, you need the Perricones. You need the the uh, uh, Kenny Deans. You, you you need the Ray Clares, the Joe Patowskis. You know, the Jimmy Caranos. Yeah, it's a, you know makes a good salad. You know what I mean? No, of course. And and let me say, Kevin Perret on that case from arson and explosion yes, did a heck of exactly. a job. You know, did a heck of a job on that case. Yes. He figured oh, it out quickly. We worked very closely with them. Very good. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of their, their boss. At the, well, Mark Torrey was it before? Yeah, he, he was the boss for a while. Um, I forget. Yeah. I forget who came after him. Yeah, I I forget the CEO's name. Night night young guy. Yeah. I, I met him at the FBI Academy. Nice guy. He almost got kicked out. But he was, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of good guys. I mean, I think one of them, John Santos was an a and &E. He was in the yes, Bond Squad before yes, he was in the Bond Squad in the A&E. Yep. 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 Yeah, yeah, John Santos. Uh, he, he had a, a, lot, a lot of great guys. I mean, uh, Pete Majors, who passed away. Uh, yeah, recently. Another guy. You know, him and uh, uh, 
I'm trying to think of his name. They really put that dog program together back then. Pete and uh, Neil Monaco. Now it came to me. Mm-hmm. I'm a little, I'm a little shot because, like I say, I had surgery not long ago, and I think I'm still a little wacky. You would never, you would never know that though, because you're firing all cylinders tonight, yeah, my friend. You're yeah, carrying this show. Listen, I was at the Elton John concert. I got to see the whole concert. I had a bad heart attack, and three days later, they, you know, they gutted <laughs> me, and I'm good. I'm good to go. So. Uh. But uh, no, uh, you know, great guys, great, great guys. They really, another, you know, they could tell you stories about Brandy and Sally, the first two bomb dogs that they had, that they actually found devices on planes. Yeah. That were going, you heard that story, right? Stevie, Stevie Dodge told it to me off the air. Vegas. Yep. Then I I think it was Sally that hit on the briefcase, the pilot's briefcase with the dynamite. Yeah. Yeah. Steve Dodge told me about that story one time off the air. You know where they got those dogs? Where? Auburn University. Really? And, yeah, Auburn was doing an experiment. The only reason I know is I had contacted them because I also had the, uh, the I became like the canine sergeant with training, you know, uh, sort of. And so, I, so I, I got interested in it. I started doing more and more research and I wanted to know about them. And they basically said they did it research on the old factory sense and they were able to get them on powder, I think, and, and uh, dynamite. And then when they were done, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with these dogs? Well, they call the the largest bomb squad in the world, right? Everybody knows mm-hmm. the NYPD, mm-hmm. and I and I think from there, it really it really took off. I mean, you know, it really took off. There's a few guys I want to ask you about before I do. For context, uh, one of the uh, frequent listeners of the show and viewers of the show, Joe Maliga, retired upstate New York correctional officer, and I have a running joke. And this is a question he always submits in the chat. And what he's getting at, basically. So speaking of jobs, Mr. Tony B has dealt with packages with wires and fuse. Did he ever deal with a little package that had an umbilical cord? He wants to know if he ever, before the bomb squad, of course, delivered a baby. Oh, oh a baby? Yeah. Uh, I didn't actually deliver the baby. I was there, uh, sort of uh, giving directions. And uh, it, it was it really, it, it happened so fast. I'm not, you know, uh, no. Uh, my hands stayed clean. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, I've been there when babies were born, and unfortunately, I've been there when other things, you know, the other way too. Yeah, yeah. Yes, no, I didn't know. Little packages, uh, little bundles of joy. <laughs> Not for the mom. They're bundles of joy after they come out. But why? <laughs> and imagine me, my poor mother in 2000. I was 10 pounds at birth. So was I. Oh, really? Back. I'm not the only one. No, I'm no. not the only one. They used to call me Buster in the hospital. And <laughs> my mother was tiny Sicilian woman. I mean, tiny. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Uh, the guys I wanted to ask you about, and they're not around anymore either. Again, very talented guys that left us way too soon. You work with Kenny Silva. You work with Louis Alvarez. Oh. And, I, and I think you work with Jerry Brennan, too. So just yeah, we'll start Jerry, with Kenny. Jerry, another great guy. Tell me about Kenny first. Jerry. I learned a lot from Jerry. Guy was, you know, he was good. Jerry was with Kenny, too. Kenny loved those dogs. And he would go up even against all the bosses if he thought the dogs were mistreated in any way. Mm. You know, he, he just, he loved the dogs. Uh, he was good at training the dogs. The guys liked him. Uh, and what I like, well, me and Kenny went to the academy together, actually. Mm. You know, so I, I, he mentioned it to me. And then we looked at a picture that used to be the old uh, police academy, and, and we're in the gym running or something together. But uh, I always liked Kenny, okay? But Kenny had no problem with telling any detective, even the sergeants, if he thought they were doing something that 
could hurt the dogs or wasn't right with the dogs. He had no problem telling you that, you know, and, and most of the, especially most of the supervisors, you got to go with what he's saying because, you know, yeah, he, he's, he's the guy, right. he, you know, he, he's the dog guy, you know? Right. No, of course. And he's, and Great he's guy. somebody, another gentleman gone too soon, unfortunately, yeah, heart attack. Yeah. There's yeah. a heart attack. You know, and with Louie, like, I, you know, we'll, we'll get to Jerry in a second. You know, with Louie, here's somebody that I remember Jeff, to go back to Jeff, he told me one time, yeah, he was joking with me. Louie wanted something quieter after all his years in narcotics, so he came to the bomb squad. Yeah. And this is, I, you know, on this show, when we do Tales from the Boom Room, yeah, I, I pay a lot of tribute to Danny Richards, and I'll continue to because I don't want people to forget about him. But these guys, like you said, they're just, they're just as missed. They were just as important to the squad, and it's important oh, yeah. we don't forget about them either. No, so, just with no. Louis, tell me about him, and why did he come to the squad? What was his background? Explosives. You're talking about say again, Louis yeah. Alvarez. What was his background oh, Louis, with explosives? Another great guy. Louis came in. I did. I was on his interview. Comes mm -hmm. in. He's got all these tattoos, right, and everything. The first thing you know, I, I started teasing him, he teased me back. I mean, he was just a, another comfortable guy that you knew would fit. The one thing about being a bomb squad. You know, you don't have to be in the military doing EOD work. I mean, could it be helpful? Like in Jeff's case, it was. Jeff yeah. over there. He right. brought a lot of knowledge to the squad in a lot of other ways. But sometimes bringing a, a new set of eyes in that's willing to learn, to open up and say, you know, I really don't know nothing. I'm going to sit back and listen. Good work ethic. Uh, great guy. Uh, I think he I think he came in because if you think about it, uh, he had a pretty steady career in narcotics. He, he was a pretty sharp guy. Did a lot of things in narcotics. I mean, you, you can only go so far. I was in the narcotics division. After a while, you want to get out of the narcotics division. And I, and I think it was fitting for him to come to the bomb squad because I think he probably liked the element of excitement that narcotics gave us. And I think he got the element of excitement in the bomb squad. Listen, listen there's not a lot of bombs going off, but that doesn't mean that when it's game day or, or you're out there in a suit and you really don't know what you have, you know, it, you get that adrenaline rush, okay? Being in the bomb squad, I used to tell people, they say, oh, you're in the bomb squad. Oh, how it's dangerous, right? I said, it's probably the safest place to be in the police department. And they say, well, I, well how, what do you mean? I said, because a lot of the people in the bomb squad are very talented. They do a they they are analyzing things, uh, doing things, and they have the ability to really sort of uh, dissect something and say, this is how I got to attack this. You know, this is something. This is nothing. I mean, you know, it's and, and Louis, I think he want I think he wanted more and I think he got more. And, and I think, you know, it, he got camaraderie because narcotics, especially when you're an undercover, you know, they have they're close. You know, I worked with a lot of undercovers, and uh, they're close. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I think he came for a little more excitement. Uh, I know it was a comfortable place to work, and now it was a younger unit. You know, I think a lot of guys got thrown off in the early days because there was a lot of old-timers there, you know. And uh, they might have been a little intimidated, you know. Oh, and then, of course, with Jerry Brennan, he was a guy that I think Brian Hearn told me on 9-11 was one of the guys that drove him back from uh, the Trade Center site to the 6th Precinct. You know, here's a guy that not a lot of people, at least for the Tales from the Boom Room audience, I know you guys didn't know about. But just for those that don't know who he was, give me the background on Jerry Brennan, too. J Jerry Brennan was a former emergency guy. 
Uh, but he was in a bomb squad a long time. When I got there, he basically uh, also, like Dennis Mulcahy, uh, basically I'd go out to the range and Jerry would get, teach me everything, whatever it could, whether it was a, a pan disruptor, whether it was capping up into explosives and, and, and things like that. Uh, he was a very knowledgeable guy. And he was an old school guy. I remember going to a job with Jerry and uh, it was in a police precinct. And there was a cocky sergeant behind the desk. And there was a, a, a device that uh, uh, was brought into the precinct, put on the floor in front of what they call the uh, 124 room, right by the desk, right? So he basically looks at it, the sergeant, deems it to be nothing, right? Nothing. Now, there's a threat within the whole thing, whatever. He, he doesn't really know. So when we get there, Jerry looks at me, he goes, we got to teach this guy a lesson. Let's evacuate this priest. So we evacuate the priest, right? And we did a little practice in the precinct. We shot a pan round. We blew it up. It was nothing. Moral of the story was the example that sergeant set to everybody in the precinct. He could have endangered everybody. I mean, realistically, we did the job the way we could have did it. Okay, did we have to do it that way? We might have been able to take it out with the robot. But we did, when they heard that pop go off uh, and the mess it made in the precinct, the sergeant, I told the sergeant, you know, and, and that, that happens a lot, unfortunately. You know, everybody, everybody wants to be the bomb technician. A lot of guys, I was in the military, I'm a veteran, you know. Uh, I worked with EOD guys, you know, but I was a military police investigator, but I didn't know nothing about it. I mean, we've had guys that uh, handled thermite. Me and Joe Patowski walked into a precinct. The guy's got stats, a smoke grenade. It was a thermite grenade. He's mm. playing with it in the precinct. Thermite, when it burns, it would have burned through there, through the desk, through the floor. You know, it, it, it is. But Jerry was 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 like, uh, he he was a fun guy. He didn't take himself that seriously. He worked with Brian Hearn. And to work with Brian, I love Brian. We worked in Staten Island together. We had a big pig job in Staten Island, a hog, a 300-pound hog. I lassoed it, and Brian tried to get it. He was in an emergency at the time. He, he was in five truck, yeah. Rope. <laughs> rope the pig's neck. Uh, I forget. It was a bad day. But if you, to work with Brian, because he, he was a funny guy, another 1,000-mile-an-hour guy. Mm -hmm. okay? And Jerry was Jerry was sort of the, the uh, buffer. You know, two, two, two good guys. Jerry was a great guy. Yeah, he doesn't get enough credit because he was always willing to help you. Always. Right. Richie Kiesma, the same way. Yeah. I didn't, you ever talked to Richie? Richie? I've had Richie on the show multiple times. He's great. Yeah, the, Richie, one of my best friends. I love him. Mm. I, I love Richie. I don't think he even knows I had a heart attack. I didn't call him. You know, I, I mean, it just... I, I, I'll, will he probably know? By now, he'll probably know. But yeah, I, probably. I, and you know what? I, what I, it is. I, you, you and I have beef because I, I'm here. I'm over here following up with you, seeing how you're doing. Paul Yerku told me that you had a heart attack. I didn't even freaking know. Yeah. So I'm yeah. like, you, I'm like, you know what, Tony? Uh, yeah, I'll forgive you. I'll let it slide. But come on now. You know? Yeah. No, you know, it's, listen. I'm good. They crack you open. They, you know, they. Well, thankfully. Your heart. I'm good to go. But so. it's funny because I'm like, you're over here, like I said earlier, you're firing all cylinders. Look at this guy, folks. He had a heart attack and you never know it because well, Paul that, Yerku. That's you probably know. why I had the heart attack because I, <laughs> in the crime, they, I was known as the sergeant that was the energizer bunny on crack. You know what? That, 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 that,
you know, it, I like it fits you well. I like them both. It fits you well because you know, Paulie had texted me and I was out and about with my family. He's like, When you are you out right now? I'm like, Yeah, he's like, Call me as soon as you get home. And all of a sudden, my heart starts racing. I'm like, Oh no, what's this mean? It's probably bad news about one of the guys. He's like, Yeah, checking on Tony, had a heart attack. I'm thinking this guy's over here laid up and things aren't going well. well uh, no, and look no, at him no, tonight, no, folks. I'll be honest with you. Uh, yeah, within two days, they I had a triple bypass and then, uh, you know, that was it. I'm yeah. good. Three, I'm three months here and I'm still here. Ah. Uh, so, well, very good. Yeah, no, very I'm, good. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, it is what it is, right? Yeah, he's still alive and kicking, That's as the right. old simple. I'm still above ground. Yeah, as, as the old simple ground. mind song uh, says. Real quick, say, go ahead. No, no, no. I was gonna, I was gonna say that it, it's uh, funny how a lot of, a lot of the old times, like you mentioned, Jerry Brennan, uh, Kevin Barry, uh, you know, they. They had a lot, a lot of knowledge because remember they inherited that knowledge from the old timers. Like uh, right. I'm trying to think of Bill's last name, I can't think of it. And Artie Hornage, Artie Hornage was a legend. Mm -hmm. uh, his son was in emergency too, uh, and he used to live in Staten Island. I used to run into him, and he was well into his 80s. And in old timers' day, he he came up to the range. We had him up there, right? You know, it was everybody else. He's got his little off duty, you know, brand new, like it's brand new. Like he's probably had it for 40 years, but it's brand new. And he's telling stories about what I, the, about the pipe and the human excrement in the pipe. And when they used to open it, they used to get splattered with crap and all that stuff. And uh, it's funny how the old timers reminded me of the new breed because when they were together up at the range, Paulie will tell you, they were teasing each other. Like, like Artie Hornish was, was saying, you see that guy over there? He was a skirt. You know what a skirt is in the police department? Tell me. An inside guy. You know, something <laughs> like a secretary. House like mouse. They would, they would break each other's chops and stuff. I mean, I, I think the type of person that eventually goes into the bomb squad uh, sort of <laughs> becomes that type of person. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, unless you're an oddball, you know, you, you, sort of, you sort of go with it. You know, it's... It, it's a I, I I was so glad that Paul convinced my son not to go to homicide and to go into the bomb squad, and he loves it. My son now, he oh, good. It. He's he I, I'll, quick funny story before I ask you one of the questions, and we'll get to the rapid fire. Is that when I was looking for you originally? I think at the end of last year, because you guys, I mean, of course, there's you, Tony Senior, and then him, Junior. I called him by accident. Right. You know, and I felt bad because Tony Jr.'s wife got nervous. He's like, who is this guy? And Tony Jr., actually, to his credit, he defended me. He's like, no, no, he's okay. He did a podcast with Paulie. You know, he's good. He's good people. And he got in touch with you. And I'd like to, if he watches this, thank you. First of all, thank you for what you do every day in the podcast. Oh, I don't do anything. Yeah, well, well, no, of course. Well, to, to Tony Jr., I'm saying to, thank you yeah. for what you're doing right now. In the, and to you, too. Thank you for what you're doing right now in the bomb squad, Tony Jr. And thank you for helping uh, set this up by talking to your father and putting in a good word for me. I appreciate it. And stay safe with, with you. And not, not only not only with you, I should say, with all the guys that are currently doing great work in the bomb squad. So I'll ask you um, real quick as uh, the cover for my microphone drops off there. Sorry about that, folks. 2005, when you called it a day after 22 years. What was the moment you knew, you know what? Yeah, I love this job. It's been fun, but it's time to go. I didn't call it a day. My heart called it a day. Oh. I, I'll tell you the quick story. Okay. Paulie was with me that day. We were coming up. I think Paulie had suited up. It was in the subway station. I'm trying to think what station it was. It was in Midtown. And, uh, you know, I was carrying up the, just the, the bomb bag, the helmet, you know, nothing, 25 pounds. You know, I used to do the gym every day. 
Mm. 25 pounds, all of a sudden, I didn't feel so good, and, you know, and pain in my jaw and whatever. So I kept denying it, denying it. But then I noticed my attitude was changing. And, and Paul, if Paulie's listening, he, he, he's heard me tell him this a thousand times. One time I yelled at Paulie for nothing, and I knew there was something wrong with me. Because that, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. I just, it was like a different, per like I knew I was getting sick, you know. Mm. So I put it off, put it off, put it off. And then finally, I started getting these pains. They put me in, stented me up. They said, you're out of here. So I would I would have been there till 63. I would have been, I would have never left. You would have worked with your son? I would have, well, uh, almost, yeah. Yeah. Almost. almost. But uh, I, I would have never left. But uh, <laughs> it, 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 it was one of those places that when you get there, and especially the guys that were there, the B team was, I had Paulie, I had Kenny Dean, I had uh, uh, Andy Ray, uh, you know, uh, uh, Ray Claire, another character, funny. We had laughs, we had fun. I mean, Paulie would set up things for Fleet Week. Nobody ever did that before. He'd take an old truck and he'd put a microwave in it, uh, TVs in it. You know, I mean, everybody, everybody loved us. When we'd go to details, you know, uh, <laughs> It was great times, man. Intel guys would come, and the people that did the detail, they would come and hang out with the bomb squad, mm -hmm. you know, because you know, Paulie made it comfortable. Oh, of course, you know, and I'm well, I'm glad that they detected that at least. But it's funny because I, I and I say this with love for Mark Torrey, another great guy who, when he retires, I need to get him on this show. But I know he has to look around and feel super duper old because he worked with you. Now he's working with your son. He worked with Dennis Mulcahy. Now he's working with Dennis's son. son. So he's like, Jesus Christ. But that's another guy that honestly, unless he has a health issue, and hopefully he doesn't, obviously, he's going to 63. He ain't, he ain't, I'd be shocked if he quits before he ages out. He's no. aging out, Mark Torrey. Oh, without a, without a doubt. Mark, yeah. Mark can't leave you. Mark is Mark. I know Mark. Uh, let's see. Almost, I bet you 35 years or so, basically. Uh, I knew him when he was cop in the bomb squad, a, a sergeant, you know. Yep. And uh, uh, a very sharp guy, a, a brilliant guy. Funny. Yeah. Like, he would come up one time, he said to me, uh, Hey, Tony, I need you to quantify this. I said, quantify? I said, what does that mean? And he started laughing. You know, he, 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 he was that way. He's very, could be very serious and then be very funny. Right. No, uh, he's, he's great. Paulie cooked a meal one time. And one of the guys put out the, the silverware. So Mark sits down and he sees one of the forks is a cake fork. He says, I can't eat with that. So we're all looking at it. Well, it's a fork. What do you mean? It's a cake fork. You know, that's the way he is. That's the way he is. But the guy guy knows. Let me tell you something. He knows his stuff. No, he does. And it's he funny because. Stuff. I mean, listen, you get into a place and you're there a long time. I, I know it might. There's a lot of politics involved. And sometimes it could be very frustrating and whatever. But, you know, he didn't get there. He didn't get there on his good looks. That's for sure. No, you, you know what? He he earned it. And it's funny because a very a, a very modest guy, because Kevin Barry had given him my number and I had done I had done uh, my two part episode with Kevin last year and he calls me. It's a three, four, seven number. And I pick it up and it's him. He's talking to me. And granted, I'm a nobody and he's the commander of the largest bomb squad in the world. He doesn't have to give me the time of day. He has to. He doesn't have to give me a nanosecond. No, I'm a, 
And he talks to me for a half hour, you know, like we've known each other 30 years. He's puffing on a cigar because I could hear him smoking on the other end on his way home. And he's like, all right, big guy, one day I'll, I'll bring you down here. We'll have a beer and we'll talk about it. And like, like I said, I'm an absolute nobody. And he's talking to me like nobody. I'm, you know. You're, you're providing not only a, 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 a good service. I mean, think about the people that are watching your podcast, right? Oh, I mean, that's true. Thank they, you. they learn not only about the bomb squad or whatever, uh, policing in general, some are cops from other places, some are civilians, some uh, just think about going on to the police department, you know, you're providing something that, you know, is uh, original and it's real. It's real. It's not, it's not the uh, staged or it's not scripted. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. And and thank you to everybody. I, I say this, you know, this started on a whim because Billy Ryan, I told the story before, Billy Ryan and I, I'd had him on the show. I'd seen him on another podcast that he did with a mutual friend of ours who's also retired from the job. Uh, and sure enough, Billy comes on and I said, you know, how about I start a mini series on all the A&E and the Bomb Squad guys? And I said, I need a name for it. Billy always said, if I write a book, he's going to call it Tales from the Boom Boom Room. So I said, let me shorten that. Tales from the Boom Room was born. And here we are all these nice. years later. And here you are tonight on the show for the volume 33. Now we'll end as we always end on the show with the rapid fire. And it's five hit run questions from me, five hit run answers from you. You can say pass if you want. Are you ready? Hey, guys, you know, I don't hear well, so speak up. No problem. Okay, so it's the rapid fire. Five hit and run right. questions from me, five hit and run answers from you. you. You can say pass if you want to. Okay. And the first question that we'll begin with, you mentioned some of them, but you can mention some more. Funniest colleagues you ever worked with? Funniest caller I ever worked with. Uh, okay, give me a second. Colleagues. Yeah. Huh? Colleagues. What did you say that again? Colleagues. Colleagues you ever worked with. Oh, oh, colleague. The funniest colleague I ever worked with uh, was probably uh, uh, Jeff Oberdeer. It could be funny. Yeah, that, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. It <laughs> doesn't surprise me. Sounds like him. A lot of, a lot yeah, of no, him. he could be funny. If he was comfortable with you, he was funny. If not, <laughs> he was a, a stick. <laughs> you know, he because he can catch you off guard. Because I remember when I was first speaking with him, and I left him a message, and I let him know all the guys I knew, which you know make him make me seem less random to him. He calls me up, very nice guy, and he ended up being a great interview. <laughs> I said, you know, let me get your email, kind of like I said to you, so I could make an outline and I could send it to you. And he says, uh, yeah, it's uh, President Biden at WhiteHouse.com. I'm like, wait a minute. And he's like, gotcha. So as he said, funny guy, funny guy. And a second, uh, second question, the rapid fire, and this could include the bomb squad too. most uplifting call that you ever responded to in the bomb squad or my job in your job in your whole career. Uplifting for me personally. Yes. I felt it was something that's satisfying. Yep. When I was in the narcotics division, we were doing a raid and it was probably 80 of us running to a, a housing project. And we're running after all these perps and all kinds of stuff going off. And a school bus is there. And a little girl gets off and she's right in the middle. And she grabs me. She says, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Obviously. Where do you live? I take her. I take her through these urine-filled hallways. Filled with crack vials, needles, everything. Four flights up, this little girl has to walk by herself. With all this going on. So I take her up. I open the door. I open the door. I knock on the door. Her mother opens the door. It's like, it was like paradise. You went from hell to paradise. Beautiful. The mother kept the apartment great. She was in tears. She, she cried, said, thank you for bringing my daughter up. I worry every day. To me, that was very, I said, Aww. you know, that was, 
that was more for me than her. That's yeah, how that's I nice. That. Yeah, it's very nice. So I've done other things. I've had rescues uh, and stuff like that. You know, I had a few. But that, to me, that little girl and getting her home so she wasn't frightened. But unfortunately, I'm not there every day. There's not cops there every day. You know, that, that was her way of life. You know, and it's sad, sad. But yeah. Wherever she is, I wherever she is, I hope she's doing okay though. Maybe she came on the job. Who knows? Who knows? I hope so. Yeah. Well, I, well, I hope so too. Third, because there's a lot of great cooks in the bomb squad, and and Stevie Burbridge was one of them. Favorite squad room snack or meal? Oh, Paulie's meals. I think uh, Paulie's pork chops were good. Yeah, Paul, Paulie learned to cook from a guy I went to high school with, another Mergey serves guy, and he'll tell you his name. Uh, Paulie was a good cook. Text I, it to I me, Paulie. I, yeah, I liked I liked everything, Paulie. Man, Paulie couldn't make a bad meal. He's getting a lot of love tonight, you know. It, it, no, well, I, <laughs> but I, he deserves I, it. He deserves Paulie it. I can't. I love Paul. You, you know, you was all, like I said. No, he, no, I, I. They love were him. all good. They yeah. were all every one of them. Everyone. Andy Ray, quietest guy. Great. We loved yeah. hunting. He was a hunter. Hunter. A funny guy. That's another guy that could actually be funny. A very yeah. funny guy. You, you see, Paulie, what other podcast gives you this much love? And for free. And for, for free. Nothing. He did not pay us. We do it because we want to. You see, you see, who better than you, Paulie? Who better? You're, you're living the life, my friend. So, fourth, favorite cop show or cop movie? The only cop show that uh, I, oh, best movie I ever liked, cops. I know everybody likes the seven ops car chase. Was a movie called The New Centurions. Mm. Okay, I've Have heard you ever of it. Seen it? I've heard of it. I've never seen it. I need to see but, it. Well, watch it with George C. Scott. It, it's especially for a guy on patrol that spent his whole life on patrol and then has it's over, uh -huh. you know, and his life is over. And it's it's just a good good movie. Uh, you know, a TV show. I like the Law and Orders because they're a little more uh, realistic. Yeah. I, I love Chicago PD, and I would love to be uh, that sergeant who keeps a stash of 300000 in his vault, you know, <laughs> and, and basically, you know, tortures people. I would love to do that, but that ain't happening. Yeah, you know, so no. to me, it's, I, I like the, uh, all the law and orders. I love law and order. <laughs> Look what he says. I'll name the cookbook after you guys. <laughs> this guy. You see him? You see what he said? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there you he's go. He's got his Paulie Perico on LLC. I love yeah. him. Yeah. He's in he's business. He's in he's in he's in business now with the new yes. job, especially. Well, but I, I, he, I he has a lot to offer. Yeah, of course. No, He'd be wasted talent if he just didn't share it. No, and that's the case with a lot of you guys retired from ESU, retired from uh, obviously the bomb squad. A lot of knowledge. Same thing with the fire service guys. I I've said this before, law and daughter, I love them all. I love the original version more yes. because Jerry Orbach was oh. just amazing. Yeah. Love Jerry Orbach. He's my favorite. He was the best. And he all, I love his one-liners. You know, I, I always, the scene of the homicide, he always came up with something so clever to say oh, yes. and when the body's right there. It's not even cold yet, you know? I'll give yeah. you a quick Jerry Orbach story. Please, I I'm love him. He's my favorite crime. actor. We're going to a gun run, right? I'm in an unmarked car. There's another unmarked car going the wrong way. I said, stop telling they're going the wrong way. They were doing what they call a long shot in the village because they did a lot in the village. Uh -huh. It was him and uh, his partner there, right? <laughs> I always see him. I go, you going the right? He goes, no, we're going the right way. And then we took off. And he <laughs> laughed. And then we saw him later on. He, he was a nice guy. 
Very yeah. nice. Very True New Yorker. And uh, I'll, I'll end with the uh, fifth and final question, the rapid fire. You got a son of the bomb squad now. Obviously, he got mm -hmm. on the job and the job has changed a lot. But just focusing specifically on bomb technicians, let's say you grab a guy or a gal that just graduated from Huntsville. What mm -hmm. advice would you give him as a bomb tech? Keep your eyes open. Listen. Okay. Don't see ghosts. They're teaching you real well, though. Not everything is a bomb, but also uh Find somebody that you that that you, you feel comfortable with, uh, and take a just like being a cop. Take a little from this guy, a little from that guy, uh, but keep your mouth shut. They have more experience than you. If they give you some advice, you might want to take it. Oh, of course, of course, and I love it, love it, great. This was been this has been fantastic. Don't say goodbye. Uh, we'll say goodbye off the air before we go. Is there any shout outs to anyone or anything that you want to give? Anyone? Shout Any shout-outs to anyone or anything that you want to give? Yeah, I do. I'd like to give a shout-out to the new Bomb Squad. A lot of the guys I don't know, uh, other than my son and uh, the young Mulcahy. Uh, remember, they get they, you, you have you know you 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 have to keep the tradition going. So, you know, do your best, be safe, God bless you, and just carry on that tradition. And maybe we'll see you at the 200th anniversary. Hopefully, uh, hopefully I can get down to the bomb squad soon. I'm going to try to work right. it out with some friends of mine and pay a visit to the guys and the gals and take those gals uh, for a tour. Uh, like I said, stick around. We'll say goodbye off the air. Coming up next on the Mike, the New Haven podcast, emergency service cop. And Paul, speaking of, you work with him. He was originally a transit rescue cop. And with the merge came over to ESU. Of course, Joe Acasio will be here for volume 27 of the event inside the NYPD's emergency service unit. That should be fun. And then Tuesday, we're going to get back to the best of the bravest interviews with the FDNY's elite. I had to postpone the interview originally, but now it's back on volume 33. Retired FDNY chief, John Salka. So a couple of good shows on tap for both the best of the bravest and the E-men inside the NYPD's emergency service unit. In the meantime, this has been volume 33 of Tales from the Boom Room, profiles of the NYPD's arson explosion bomb squad. I am Mike Colon, and we will see you next time. Have a great weekend, everybody, and stay safe.